The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins of the Society of St. Pius V and pastor of Immaculate Conception Church in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. Hello, Tom. How are you? It's good to see you. Good to see you, too. Tonight, we will continue our discussion of viewer questions, and this first one, Father, concerns the topic of natural family planning. And one of our viewers writes in and says, Father, there seems to be a lot of confusion concerning the topic of natural family planning and the traditional Catholic community. Many couples believe it is permissible under any circumstances. Has the church any definite teachings that can clear this up? And Father, I would have to say that I, I agree with that. I've, I've seen that in my own personal experience that some Catholics speak very fondly of natural family planning. And it seems that Although the church sometimes permits it as the lesser of two evils, that doesn't change the fact that natural family planning is still an evil. Is that correct? Well, it derogates from the primary essential purpose of marriage. The primary essential purpose of marriage, as God himself instituted, was to increase, multiply, and fill the earth, to give life. And so whenever you derogate or you, you deviate from a primary essential purpose of something that God has done, obviously, uh, it is going to be a, an evil, right? Um, but uh, there are things that are intrinsically evil in time and things that are not intrinsically evil. Okay. Um, and, uh, for example, abortion is intrinsically evil, to directly take the life of an innocent person. Um is uh, is always and everywhere evil. Right. There's no justification for that, uh, ever, under any circumstances. But um, there is, uh, again, the principle of double effect, you know, and uh, or what we call the uh, the indirect voluntary. You know, it's what it's called in moral theology, where an action is taken not for the sake of an evil, but for the sake of a good, which is proportionate and is is. Uh, uh, it takes something, a situation that is not intrinsically, or an act that is not intrinsically evil, and uh, actually can justify it. Um, uh, for example, uh, Pope Pius XII actually made a statement about natural family planning back in the early 1950s. In fact, he was giving a, a conference in the Vatican to uh, a large group of uh, midwives of Italy, and uh, he was explaining the circumstances under which natural family planning could be used. Uh, he said that there would have to be some proportionate evil to be avoided, some proportionate good to be secured, in order to make it justifiable to use that. So, in other words, if uh, the only purpose for using natural family planning was to avoid having children, period, uh, and that was the good to be secured, to avoid having children, that would be an evil, okay? Because that is directly contrary to God's intention for marriage. But he uh, laid out certain certain conditions under which natural family planning could be could be uh, uh, could be uh, if not morally good itself, at least could be justified. Uh, 
He talked about uh, the case of a couple who had children who discovered that the children that they had uh, were given to some sort of uh, uh, disfigurement or some sort of impairment. And they realized that um, the husband and the wife were uh, somehow you know, placing the children in danger of being born with some type of disability or whatever, um, deformity. He said that could be justification for natural family planning. He didn't say it was, he said it could be. He mentioned the case of a family in which the mother's health would be so uh, precarious that another uh, conception of a child could actually put her life in danger. But that could be justification for another, uh, for natural family planning. Or if it did not uh, endanger her life, if it could so debilitate her, uh, carrying another child, that she could not care for the children she already has. In a case like that, he said that's, that possibly could be a uh, reason to practice natural family planning. He mentioned the case of a family that was so poor that they uh, struggled even to provide the necessities of life for uh, the children they had. Now, he wasn't talking about the necessities of life being iPods and things like that, okay? Right. He was talking about food, clothing, and shelter, the basic necessities of life. Um, so, uh, he talked about cases where having another child would actually endanger those children already there, uh, who are already alive. But notice, in each one of these cases, Papias Twelfth uh, raised, he was talking about a situation in which the husband and the wife already had given life. So they had already brought children into the world, and they had already fulfilled the primary essential purpose for their marriage in the first place. Okay, uh, He did not uh, raise any, any uh, circumstances or any conditions in which uh, the couple had no children whatsoever. Okay, So they had already uh, fulfilled the purpose of bringing life into the world, but they, they then found that caring for the lives they've given um, was, was uh, put at risk by having another child or conceiving another child. He said these are the circumstances which could justify natural family planning. Uh, again, you have a, a situation here which you have an evil, you might say, on both sides. You know, there's a certain risk factor involved here. And uh, he said that uh, one, one could avoid uh, conceiving another child only uh, with the intention, rather, of securing, of, of um, let's say, uh, safekeeping the lives you already had given, or protecting them in some way or another, so, uh, and not putting them in danger, okay? Um, now, he did say this, he said it wasn't up to the couple to decide for themselves whether or not the circumstances were such that they were justified in practicing natural family planning. He said that they had to go to their parish priest and they had to talk to him and, and present the case to him and he had to ask them the necessary questions and he had to make the judgment as to whether or not uh, they were justified because it's the priest's responsibility to know what the church teaches on this subject. And uh, telling the people involved, the couple, that they had to go and consult the parish priest actually was for their own benefit because... Um, Certainly, you wouldn't want couples to be deciding for themselves, yes, we can practice natural family planning, making a mistake and, and, and discovering the hard way, even a judgment, that they were wrong and that they were deciding out of selfishness. 
um, or even legitimately practicing natural family planning for honest and compelling reasons, but always wondering whether or not they were guilty. And so when the priest gave an answer, he took the responsibility upon himself because it's his responsibility to know the answer. But if he doesn't know, he has to find out. Okay, but he has to give them a reliable answer. And they're not just asking for his opinion on the matter. They're asking for uh, a judgment uh, based upon true knowledge and certain knowledge of the church's teaching and the assessment of the actual situation. Um, so they have to they have to go into this with the understanding that they're going to accept God's will no matter what it is. <clears throat> you see, the church sees a certain danger in this, not only in terms of avoiding uh, conceiving a child, but the church sees a danger of putting the husband and the wife in a morally compromising situation where they can be tempted to do immoral things, to avoid conceiving a child <clears throat> when they somehow uh, don't feel that they can then practice natural family planning uh, uh, and abstaining because it involves abstinence, as you know. <clears throat> and the danger is that they will try to find some other method then of conceiving a child, uh, avoiding, avoiding conception of a child. And the church doesn't want the husband and the wife to put each other in danger. Um, the church doesn't want the husband uh, to, uh, shall we say, um, pressure the wife into anything. The, the church doesn't want the, the wife to pressure the husband into, into anything. Uh, it has to be by free mutual consent of the two parties because each one of them has the marriage rights and received those marriage rights the day they were married. And so no one can bully someone into not into giving up his marriage rights, and not legitimately anyway. So it would have to be something they would both agree to. And uh, then it's something that they would both have to be to honor as to what would be the true form of, of, of uh, abstaining, you know, during periods when a child could be conceived, rather than straying from that due to concupiscence and... Uh, get into um, morally compromising uh, actions or even just outright intrinsically evil right. evil actions. So you see, there, there are certain dangers the church uh, sees, wisely so, and she wants uh, always to maintain the integrity of the couple in their marriage vows, their faithfulness to each other, and their faith, faithfulness to God. So yes, in answer to the question, there are restrictions. It is not always and everywhere perfectly fine to just do that at will. There are elements involved that uh, do confront you know, the primary essential purpose of marriage, and so it is a very serious matter. People have to consult their priest, but I warn them, if they go to a novice oral priest, a new order priest, he will very likely tell them, oh sure, that's, that's, there's no problem with that, do whatever you want there. And, uh, you know, you have these novice order organizations that are pushing this natural family planning as an alternative to birth control, right. artificial birth control. Right. It's not an alternative to artificial birth control. Uh, that is wrong to situate it that way. Um, so there are very serious moral questions that have to be addressed before the question can be answered, does this or that couple in this or that situation justify the use of natural family planning? Father, in, in regards to that, uh, that, that topic of 
submitting the case to the parish priest and his discretion. One objection that I've heard raised before is that the priest should have no has no business interfering in these matters, that that topic of marriage relations should be exclusively between a husband and a wife, and a priest who himself isn't even married has no business interfering in, in that topic. How would, how would you answer that? I'd say that's a good opinion for atheists. I'd say if they want to be atheists, fine, that's fine. I'd say why do they bother with the sacrament? Why do they bother getting married in the first place? I and mean, what's the point? If the church has nothing to say about their marriage, then... Um, Tell the priest ahead of time so he can say, well, then don't come here to receive the sacrament of matrimony because it is a sacrament. And Christ did con commit that to the care of the church. And uh, if you think the church has nothing to say about it, and you, you disguise that under the, under the say, the priest doesn't have anything to say about it. <clears throat> what you really mean to say is that the church has nothing to say about it. And furthermore, as far as they're concerned, God has nothing to say about it. Uh, then just, you know, acknowledge the fact that they're atheists. And, um, and uh, you know, just be consistent in their atheism. <laughs> but, you know, if they're, if they're going to um, profess the faith to come and when to be married in the church and receive the sacrament of matrimony, uh, then they are necessarily submitting their marriage to the church and, um, and to God, right? Uh, and he will judge them for that. But... Uh, those, uh, I've never heard anybody say that. I've heard people say that other people say that, though. And if a couple were to tell me that, I would tell them, well, don't, don't, you're not going to get married here. I'm not going to marry you. I can't in conscience marry you with that attitude. Uh, that you're not even going to be submitting yourselves to the moral law of God. But you see, t uh, t this gets back to the idea that within marriage, everything is okay. And um, that, is a, that is a monstrous idea. Um... And uh, quite the contrary, in marriage you need every bit as much restraint, if not more restraint, than you need outside of marriage. There has to be self-control. And before you get married, the fact that you can live chastely before you're married, the fact that you can live chastely while in courtship, is necessary to show that you can be trusted to live chastely within marriage, too. Because yeah. if you can't respect your marriage vows before you make them, how are you going to respect them after you make them? Um, no, the moral law still applies within marriage, too. And um, I can't believe that anybody who's been through a good course in marriage instruction, who took it seriously and was, you know, well taught, uh, could actually make a statement like that, that, uh, you know, after we're married, they have nothing more to say about it. Right. So anyway, but uh, you're a married man, right? I am. You could set these people straight. <laughs> I know you could. I could try, Bob. Um, I, it, it actually, it seems like a great act of charity on the part of the church and uh, and requiring that the couple submit that, that case to the parish priest because mm -hmm. even if the parish priest um, wrongly permits them, if, mm -hmm. if, he, if he gives them the okay, the go-ahead, and the the couple follows their parish priest's advice, they mm. will be free from guilt in the eyes mm. of God, even if they practice this wrongly. So that actually seems like a great act of charity well, that, that, that the church would do that for them. And actually, that's, the church has that in mind, that it will free them uh, from the concerns about the morality of what they're doing. Right. And the priest will take the responsibility right. upon himself. So he'd better be right. He'd better be right. He'd better <laughs> make sure that he's giving them the right, the right answer. Right. Well, Father, I'd like to switch gears just a bit. And this is actually... In a, in a similar vein, 
Uh, one of our viewers would like to know what you have to say about women in the workplace and what about, in particular, married women with children and what about married women with children who work at a Catholic school or something similar? What, what would you have to say about that? Well, that's an interesting question because I have married women who are teaching at our school, <laughs> as you know, in Cincinnati. Um, well, nobody can take mom's place, okay? There, there are those who try and there, there are women who will um, step into situations where mothers have been lost to a family through some tragedy. And they will try, out of a great charity, to take care of the children. And uh, they pour out their hearts, you know, and, and may give them truly a, a, a mother's love. But there is not the bond of motherhood there. Spiritual motherhood there can be, yes. And, um, but there is a special bond there, right? It cannot simply be supplied uh, by whatever affection there may be. So, um, in some cases, it's necessary. Um, it is the case of, uh, of a mother working, though. Is that the case of necessity, where a mother would leave her children to be uh, raised by another woman, or whoever, you know, a daycare center, whatever? Uh, it certainly is not God's plan to do that. Um, is it intrinsically evil for a woman to... Uh, to work, to be a wage earner for the family. No, it is not intrinsically evil. Can there be reasons that would justify it? Yes, there can be reasons that would justify it. Is the idea is, is it the ideal situation? No, it is not the ideal situation. Certainly, but um, you know, a woman's place really is in the home, and a woman who can manage a household has has to have all the skills of a, of a CEO of a major corporation. I mean, these days especially, it takes an enormous amount of talent, uh, time, energy, to really manage a home uh, uh, perfectly, as you would want to, to manage, you know, something that is where, where children are being formed. And um, so I have a great admiration for women who uh, devote their lives to their families, because this is God's intention. It is their vocation, really to devote their lives to their families. Uh, even the fathers, I mean, uh, when I say even, I mean, uh, we think of them being the breadwinners and going out by God's design and uh, bringing home the bacon, as it were. But even that is done not for the sake of a hobby or, or giving them something to do, something that they enjoy doing or getting them out of the house. When the fathers go to work, that also is for the sake of their vocation, and their vocation is their family. They are meant to spend themselves for their wives and their children, okay? That is their vocation. Whatever they're doing out of the home to earn money is for the sake of the family, supporting the family, and is their avocation, but not their vocation. This is uh, uniquely true of the mother, though, okay? So uh, um, she is not meant to pursue a career as though that avocation was somehow to be elevated above the level of her actual God-given vocation to be the mother and wife, okay? Uh, can there be justifications? Yes, there can be justifications if there's real need, okay? If there is a real need uh, for the family, for example, if the family uh, is not supported adequately, okay? If they simply do not have uh, the necessities of life because one wage is not enough, and the mother, by her talents, needs to supplement uh, 
to supplement what the husband is earning. Uh, suppose the husband is ill. Uh, suppose the husband is, uh, well, whatever happens, you know, that uh, the husband passes away. Um, in that case, it can fall upon the woman to be the sole wage earner. And uh, so obviously in cases like that, someone has to be, and she's the only likely one, uh, or the most likely one, to be able to support that unless they have some great benefactor. Um, so there are situations that might not only justify her working outside the home, there are situations that might necessitate her working outside her home. Um, because the, the husband has the primary per, uh, duty of supporting the family, but he doesn't have the only duty. The wife also shares that duty secondarily to him, so that if for whatever reason he cannot or will not uh, provide the uh, material necessity to the family, the wife, it falls secondly to the wife. I'm sorry, you had a question. Here. Well, Father, I was just going to say this, this might be begging the question a bit, but you mentioned, um, you mentioned women, uh, wives and mothers having out of necessity to become, age, to become wage earners for their families. Uh, would you say that that trend is becoming more commonplace in society? And if so, what, what is the driving force behind that? Oh, absolutely. There was a marital missionary named Father John Becker. Back in the 1950s and 60s, in fact, he, um, he was imprisoned by the Communist Chinese. Um, and he uh, eventually was released. He was threatened with death by firing squad day after day after day after day. He was marched out to the killing fields and then brought back. Went through this, this drill over and over again, never knowing when one of the bullets might take his life. You know? Cruel. But they wanted the children in the villages to see death to strike terror into the children. Even the little tiny children were forced to watch as their villagers were killed uh, so that they would learn what it was to fear, to be afraid. Uh, in fact, Father Becca's uh, uh, very powerful speech that he gave, even here in the, in the United States, he was speaking at Elder High School back in the early 60s, I believe it was, after he was released by the Communist Chinese. And he gave a speech entitled... Uh, Force and fear, the two fists of communism. And he talked about the use of force and the engendering of fear. And that's how they control whole populations. That's how they control the people of his own village in China. And um, he said in the course of his speech, I recommend that. You can find that. I'm sure you can find that, that talk. It's very powerful. <clears throat> um, he talks about uh, the fact that when he came back to the United States, he saw this very clearly. He said economic conditions are being created in this country. That's what he said, created in this country. They weren't just happening. They were being deliberately done, uh, uh, brought, brought into being, that required both the husband and the wife to work so that the children would be raised by someone other than their own parents. And he said, where are they? Where are the children then? Who's raising those children? What ideas are being given to those children? He even uh, talked about something, so when it's as a child going to the library, and the librarian being, as he said, pinko. <laughs> he was very matter-of-fact about communism because he stared it right in the teeth. Right. You know? And he said, you get this leftist librarian who's supposed to recommend books for kids to read. He said, what do you think they're going to give the kids to be reading, right? And all the more so in the schools and wherever else, you know, the daycare, wherever you put the children. Who's going to be raising these kids with the idea of the television set, for example, right? 
Um, the children's shows. What kind of ideas are they going to be putting in the children's minds? So, uh, but he, he said the idea was to, uh, as part of the communist plan, uh, the actual from the manual of the communists, how they're going to get the population of the United States that is now uh, in the womb or in the, in, the, in, the, in the classroom, how they're going to get their minds. And he said, first of all, you have to get past the mother and the father. This was especially, especially poignant, considering the fact that he had just talked about how the communists moved into this little village, I think it was Don Jacques, um, and the first thing they did was take the men, the fathers, march them off and put them in a compound on one side of the village. Take the women, the mothers, march them to the compound on the other side of the village, take the children and march them off and keep them separately. And not even allow the husband and wife to see each other, but for more than 15 minutes a week for the sake of perhaps conceding more communists, right? More children be raised as communists. So he said that their intention was to break up that communist family. Uh, the, the, I'm sorry, the Chinese family. He said it's a very tight unit, the Chinese family. So the communists had to break that unit somehow. And this is the way they chose to do it, try to do it, okay? So, uh, so he was very much aware of that happening in our own country. But it was not being done at the point of a bayonet. It was being done, uh, let's say, at the point of a spatula, because they could, you know, you have to have food to feed your children. And if one wage is not enough, the mom has to go out and get a job to earn enough money. He said it was completely artificial. It was being, it was being as done that way deliberately by the leftists to attack and destroy the family and leave the children free to be raised by them. So, um, you know, obviously it is an evil. But uh, again, you know, when you get to uh, a wife doing something that she has the skills to do for a Catholic school, um, is there a proportionate good there? Well, there can be a proportionate good. Because not only can she say, well, this is my way of providing a good school for my children, but for other people's children too. And rather than have uh, the, the, the leftists, the, the so-called progressives, they like to keep changing their names, you know, but they're all a bunch of, of socialists and uh, ultimately Marxists. Um, uh, rather than have them destroy, the, break the family up so they can raise the children as leftists, the idea of a Catholic mother is what I, what I can do is I can um, contribute my time and talents to a Catholic school where the children will be raised as Catholics, and they will get their faith, and they'll have good friends, and eventually they'll have good people to marry uh, and have families of their own. And how are they going to do that if we live in isolation? Uh, so the wife may well say, okay, let's say we do need a little, uh, little supplement to our income. Maybe we don't. Maybe the husband is making a, a very good salary, more than they really need, okay? But she sees, but I can contribute to a Catholic school, and I can help out many families that don't have the resources to, find, to raise their children Catholic, teach their children Catholic on their own, without a good Catholic school. And so if I can help provide a Catholic school for them, at the same time, providing for my own children to be raised in a Catholic school, have the camaraderie of a Catholic social life, and eventually, even ultimately, my goal is to have my child find and marry a good Catholic spouse. That this, I think, is a good way to do that. That would be a justification for uh, for a wife working outside the home, even in a Catholic school. Let's say, primarily in a Catholic school. Right. Uh, 
Go ahead. Traditional Catholic school. Okay? <laughs> right. You understand what I'm saying here. I'm not talking about one of the modern Nova Soto schools, certainly. Right. <clears throat> Big difference there. Um, Father, I'd, I'd like to very briefly touch on something that you mentioned about, um, uh, I believe it was John, Father John Becker, you said, you mentioned the economic conditions in this country were being created uh, with the sole purpose in mind of women leaving their families and having to enter into the workplace. Mm-hmm. So if you could quickly, in just a, a couple minutes, what's, what is the solution to that problem? How do we remedy that? Well, if the economic conditions are being created uh, by leftists who are controlling the economy, how can they do this? Well, they, uh, politicians, of course, have a certain amount of control, right? Great business leaders, big businesses have, have quite a bit of control. But then also, I mean, they're, they're the United Nations. I mean, there are these global entities that have a lot, a great deal of control. Um, and uh, they can control the markets of the world, uh, even the value of the dollar, even the goods and services that are available in a country. Um, can be created or destroyed, you know, by the whims of some very powerful people in the world. And so, um, nonetheless... Um, we have to be very prudent. We have to be very prudent in, uh, in um, how we prepare ourselves to, to make a living, what, what we can do, what skills we have, what skills we need to provide the essential things that our families need, food, clothing, shelter, so maybe insurance and so on these days, transportation. You know, it's not just food, clothing and shelter anymore. You know, they, they need a number of other things as well uh, to live well in the society that we have. And, um, but, um, you know, a lot of it has to do with the prudence of the husband and the wife, wife in, um, in coming to marriage. Um, they have to, first of all, be on a secure financial basis before they marry. Uh, they can't marry and so, if they, they can hardly provide for themselves, right? Let alone a, a growing family. So uh, they have to work toward that financial security as much as possible. It takes an enormous amount of prudence and self-control. Um, you've heard of a man named Dave Ramsey, right? Uh-huh. He's trying to help enable people to get out of debt if they're already in, in debt slavery. He's trying to keep people out of debt if they've kind of sold their souls into this, uh, this uh, usurial situation now where people get you in debt and then everything is designed to keep you in debt. Everything about your credit score, right? That's the main thing. That determines uh, the the value and the quality of your life is your credit score these days. He And his message is, as I understand it, don't have a credit score. (laughs) Just avoid that entirely. Uh, So again, people have to avoid getting into debt. Um, that is basically a way to give uh, the leftist control over your life and the lives of your, your spouse, your children, over your family, right? And, uh, of course, the debtors' prisons are notorious from the past of um, being where improvident people, people go. Um, so they, people have to be very, very prudent in the way they handle money these days. If they want to have the, the, way, the situation that the church sees is the way it really should be, but the father is the wage earner and the wife is uh, the, the, the full-time stay-at-home mom, okay? Um, that her entire life is devoted to the raising of those little children who need her. Um, then uh, 
then he has to look to see himself in that role, and he has to lay the foundation for being able to assume that role. Um, he just can't, you, you cannot have men today who are marrying with the idea, well, I'm going to marry a woman who uh, has some marketable skills and she's going to be uh, joining me. It's going to be a, t a tandem effort in raise, getting enough money together to feed this family. No, he shouldn't be entering marriage with that, with that intention, that his wife is going to be a working mom, right? Mm -hmm. um, just for the sake of earning money. Um, the, um, the other thing is that they need to um, have a great deal of self-control over their spending habits. You know, people are raised today for instant gratification. They see something, they want it, they buy it. Right? right, regardless of the consequences, and um, uh, people have to have to humble themselves because it really is a form of humility to acknowledge. Uh, well, I can't afford that, and uh, I simply can't, so I can't afford it. I can't have it, but I can work for it. But I have to decide whether even the investment of my time and effort in working for this, whatever it is is the best use of my time and effort, if that really is working toward my goal or if that is something that is going to be an obstacle to my goal in life. Right. Uh, a woman who marries a man has to have these things in mind. Uh, so she's got to see um, the kind of man he is, his earning habits and his spending habits should be very important to her. Um, because she has to come to the marriage with that in mind, that he is going to be the wage earner of the family and I'm going to be um, the mom who devotes my life to caring for these little children. I mean, I, as I mentioned, Tom, I have a school and I have mothers teaching there. But if I, if I saw any indication that the, the moms who were teaching in our school were neglecting their children by, for doing so, I wouldn't have them there. I just couldn't, you know, in conscience, have them there. Uh, fortunately, I, I have the confidence in their, their prudence and, of course, their love for their children that they wouldn't do that either, okay? Um, so, um, I would say this, that um, if, I had a, if I had a couple come to me and tell me they want to get married, um, but they want to practice natural family planning for the first year or two because they're not in a situation yet where they are able to... Um, provide financially for a child, then I would say, well, then you're not in a financial situation where you're able to get married, period. Uh, if you are not able to have children yet, you are not able to be married yet, period. Mm -hmm. So go get yourselves situated where you can afford to have children and then come back and see me about actually getting married. Mm -hmm. uh, it's that serious. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, Father, that's definitely a, uh, a weighty, weighty topic, and uh, I believe it ties in a bit with one of our previous programs where we discussed the topic of the church's view on money. So I would definitely recommend that video to, uh, to all, of our, all of our viewers. And in closing, Father, we have one final quick question. One of our viewers would like to know if the Marian statue on the set of what Catholics believe is for sale. This particular statue is not for sale, however... Um, the statue, there, there are uh, uh, religious good stores that do sell this very beautiful statue. In fact, uh, 
you can uh, find them. I, I imagine you could probably find them online. I, I, I hesitate to direct anybody to go online because of all the filth that's on there. But um, I know that there are religious good stores that can obtain and, and uh, provide statues like this. Um, so if you get a good look at it and you decide that's something you want, I'm sure you can find it. Uh, on the other hand, I mean, if you want to uh, let us know uh, who you are and uh, how many you want, I would be willing to find it for you. We have a religious good store here at Immaculate Conception, which is very good. And uh, we have a dear lady who devotes a great deal of time and effort to making it a, a very serious concern. And so I'm, I'm sure that uh, she can find that statue. If we know that you want one, we can, we can direct you to it and make it possible for you to get one. Well, that sounds very good, Father. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here tonight and uh, sharing all of your insight with us. Really oh, appreciate you're it. You're welcome. Thank you also. I know you have a wonderful wife and I do. <laughs> uh, little children who are delightful. That's right. And uh, I'm sure they're very happy to see you yeah. uh, appearing, you know, being on the show here. So uh, please give them all my best regards. I would do that, Father. Thank, thank you, you very much. God bless you all. Thank you. I would also like to thank all of our viewers for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask you all to remember the words of Our Lady at Fatima, to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, and to pray and do penance. Thank you, and God bless.